Good to see you, and it's a joy to be over here with you in this Connect service. I've been wanting to get over here. I haven't been here that long. This is my third Sunday, but I wanted to make a time. I've met some of you. I'm looking forward to meeting the rest of you. My name is Charles. I appreciate you wearing the name tags. It's a great, great help to me. And it's one of my goals to, as soon as possible, very soon, I hope, to uh, get to know you by name and, and get to know your stories and have a chance for you to, to hear my story and to what brought me to this place in my life. So it's a joy to be here today, and I appreciate so much your welcome and Nick and the band and all they've done to prepare me for this time. Uh, it's a, a new, I've preached in contemporary services before, but every setting is a little different, so thank you for your patience. And uh, Brent, thanks for starting the service off. And uh, the varsity thing, if, I, if they weren't so full, I'd go with you. Um, I need an oil change, and that's a, that's a terrific place to go. And uh, I remember what Louis Grizzard used to say in some of his words of wisdom, that chili dogs always bark loudest at night. But, uh, but that's, a, that's a risk you take. And uh, some other time, please let me know. We'd love to, love to go with you. I hadn't been there in, in quite a while. But it's good to be with you, and it's good to be in this service. And uh, thank you for... Uh, for your warm welcome and for all you've done to make Nikki and, and me feel at home in Noonan. We're learning our way around. There's so much growth, so much happening around here in this downtown area. It's so, so exciting and so much fun just to walk around and see all that's happening here and to explore all the restaurants and to meet all the folks. So uh, thank you for all you've done. This is our home now and we're grateful to be here. And uh, Hope we have many, many days, weeks, months, and even years to be together and to serve God and to uh, see what God has in store for each of us and for this great church. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from Matthew chapter 10. And uh, for the summertime, in whether I'm preaching in traditional or over here in the Connect service, I want to stick with Matthew's gospel. And I want to sort of put a banner over all of this called Messages That Matter from the Mind of Matthew. And so if I get a chance to be with you again sometime soon, you may hear from Matthew again. But there's so much there, so much to talk about. A brief passage, and then we're going to, uh, to look at it from a couple of different perspectives. And uh, certainly I'm interested in, in your feedback and your reaction. Maybe some things in this passage that you see or will see that I haven't seen. And so let me know. Let's talk about that. Let's... Um, Let's learn from one another. Matthew chapter 10, beginning with verse 40. Whoever welcomes you welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person in the name of a righteous person will receive the reward of the righteous. And whoever gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones in the name of a disciple, truly I tell you, None of these will lose their reward. Amen. A cup of cold water. I want us to back up for a little bit and to the beginning of the 10th chapter of Matthew's Gospel. And let me sort of put this all in, in context for us. You may not have read that chapter recently, so let's think about what led to the point where Jesus was talking about giving a cup of cold water and why that's significant and, and how we interpret that, how that speaks to us in our time. Jesus called the 12 
disciples or apostles together, commissioned them, gave them authority. The word apostle literally means one who is sent. Jesus had hundreds of disciples, maybe even more, maybe thousands, but there are only 12 of the apostles that we, that we traditionally think about. And so looking back at the first of this passage, I had to, I had to write this down so it's not a trick kind of question, but can you name, can you name all 12 of these folks? I mean, let me run through that. Let me run through that for my benefit as well as yours. The first two that I think about were brothers, Simon, Peter, and Andrew. Everybody knows Peter. Peter was never at a loss for words. Often had his foot in his mouth like me and, and some other folk do sometimes. Andrew, his brother's not so well known, but every time Andrew's mentioned in the Bible, he's bringing somebody to meet Jesus. That's not a bad reputation, is it? That's a pretty good way to be remembered. Every time he's mentioned bringing somebody to meet his Lord. And then there are James and John. Their father was Zebedee. They were fishermen. Uh, they were known. They had a nickname, Sons of Thunder. And I don't know what that was all about. But we usually earn our nicknames. And so uh, they may have been that thunderous sort of or folks. There was Philip and Bartholomew. And then there was Thomas. We've hung a tag on him that says Downton Thomas. There's a lot more to him than that. And maybe we'll have a chance in some Sunday school classes and when I'm back over here to talk about that at other times, about the courage that Thomas really had when Jesus was wanting to go to Jerusalem and, and they were saying, uh, you're in trouble, Lord. You don't need to go there. And, and Thomas is the one who say, well, if you're going, I'm going with you. Thomas was not, don't hang that tag on him. There's more to him. Matthew was a tax collector. James was the son of Alphaeus. He was known as James the Lesser, and, and James and John would have been James the Greater, I suppose. And then there was Thaddeus. Thaddeus is one of those names. Folk sometimes like to name their children after biblical names, and that's, that's a good thing. But Thaddeus, I had a chair of my staff parish relations committee when I was in Jonesboro, and he had some health issues when he was in the hospital. I went to see him a time or two. And with the Privacy Act now and all this other stuff, unless you know somebody's exact name, they will often won't tell you what room they're in. And it's kind of frustrating when you've made the trip to see somebody. And I'd go and ask for Dan Rainwater, and they'd say, we have no such person. So I'd call his wife and say, does he have another name? And he did. It was Thaddeus. I never would have dreamed of that in 100 years. It's in the Bible, but Thaddeus, and, and that got me in. And then there's Simon the Canaanite. Um, sometimes Simon Zelotus or Simon the Zealot, he's called. Zealots, the revolutionaries who wanted to overthrow Rome and who were trying to push Jesus their way. And then, of course, the number 12, last, lost, not least. How do you describe Judas Iscariot? Those debates go on and on. There was a woman in my last church that every time I saw her, she wouldn't talk about Judas. Well, it didn't take me long to tell her everything I knew, but she wanted to, every time we, she saw me, wanted to know what happened to Judas. And, and I don't know. I, I told her, I said, a lot of other folk out here that we can do something about, but I don't know what happened to Judas. So uh, <laughs> let, let's, uh, let's uh, think about that. So these 12, Jesus sent them out with some pretty significant instructions. What to take, what not to take where to go, where not to go, what to say, what not to say, all that stuff about if people don't want to hear you, shake the dust off your feet. And I think part of the reason Jesus was telling them to pack light, don't carry a lot of stuff with them, 
It's because sooner or later, they were going to have a cross on their back. And that's pretty heavy. And that doesn't leave room for a lot of other stuff that they thought they needed. Trust me, he said. I'm sending you out and, and get out there and, and share this story. And folk may not be sympathetic, but don't be afraid. All the stuff, all the secret stuff done in the dark will be brought to light. All these things that people wondered about, all the ruling authorities. Jesus said, if they call me the devil, can you imagine what they're going to do to you? So there was a warning about when we share the good news and share the gospel. Listen, pay attention. Don't let it get you down if folks don't always go along with you. Don't be afraid. He said in Matthew 10, 28, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body, but be afraid of those who can destroy both body and soul in hell, those who can take our inner life, our spiritual life away from us. But we fear so much those who, who can destroy our physical selves. And I'm with you on that. I'm, I'm, I'm a card-carrying coward in a lot of ways, and, and I'm not looking to walk into a situation where I might be physically harmed, but there's more to it than that. There's that inner life. Jesus said, protect that. Be careful of those who can take that away from you. And he said also, leading up to our passage, he said turmoil and conflict are going to come your way. Don't worry about that so much. You can't always play this game in bounds. Sometimes you have to get out of bounds and they're going to flag you on that. They're going to call you for that. So don't let that worry you so much. Pack light. You've got to save room for the cross. And then it brings us to our passage for today. And in looking at that, let me share that with you one more time from Eugene Peterson's version, The Message. I like The Message. I haven't had a chance to, to find out what versions of Scripture you prefer. I use the New Revised Standard Version a lot, but I also like to look in The Message. See how Peterson it translates a particular passage. And I use that sometimes in my own devotional reading. It, it just makes a lot of sense to me. But... Matthew 10, 40 through 42, listen to what Peterson says. Remember what we said a moment ago, and then we'll go on from there. He said, we are intimately linked in this harvest work. Anyone who accepts what you do accepts me and the one who sent me. Anyone who accepts what I do accepts my father who sent me. Accepting a messenger of God is as good as being God's messenger. We'll talk about that in a minute. That's an important thought. Accepting a messenger of God is just as important as being God's messenger. Accepting someone's help is as good as giving someone help. It's hard for us sometimes, isn't it, to receive. We want to be proud. We want to be stubborn. We want to think we've got it all under control. And we don't need anybody's help. So often it's more difficult to receive grace, to receive what's offered to us, than it is to be graceful and to offer love and care and support to other people. It's a large work, he said, I've called you to. Don't be overwhelmed by it. It's best to start small. Give a cup of cool water, for instance, to someone who's thirsty. That's a small thing. The smallest act of giving or receiving makes a true apprentice. You won't miss out on anything. When Jesus spoke these words, there was a scholar who reminded us it's a common way of of speaking in that day and time to receive someone's messenger, to receive someone's ambassador, to receive the envoy representing someone else was the same thing as receiving that person. 
And so to receive those, to care for those who were messengers of the word of God would be the same as receiving Christ, receiving the one who, who sent the person. And um, this was particularly so in regard to those who were considered wise and who had some understanding and some depth of knowledge into God's truth. If someone's a faithful believer, to receive that person is to receive the God who sent that person. This is what Jesus is saying here, I think. Now, within those three short verses, there is what some military folks might refer to as a chain of command. And you know about that, how, how orders get passed down from one level to another. And there's a chain, and you follow the chain. And that seems to be in, in this passage, four links in that chain. There is God, of course, out of whose love this whole process of salvation begins. And then there is Jesus, whom God sent to bring this salvation, to bring this love to earth, to help us understand. And then there's the human messenger, the prophet, the spokesperson who speaks for God. And then, number four, there's the believer, the one who receives that message. And we're told here that to receive the messenger is to receive the one who sent them. So there is sort of a, a chain of command here. We're not all called to be prophets or pastors or teachers to proclaim God's word publicly, but those who can give to God's messengers, even that simple gift of hospitality, they're just as important in this grand scheme of things as the one who speaks, the one who proclaims the word of God to receive and to offer that gift of hospitality. I haven't heard this in a long time, and sometimes we, we're afraid, but folks used to tell me, what always scared me a little bit to go to church always scared me a little bit to hear a message because what if God laid it corner of this world? And I don't want to go, so I'll just stay away. I'm afraid that God may, may send me away. But the truth is, odds are that's not going to happen. The truth is there are deep, dark places in Atlanta and in Coweta County and in Noonan and sometimes next door. And sometimes there are deep, dark places in our own hearts. And God sends us to deal with that and, and to seek help with that. And, and the odds are pretty favorable that God's going to call us to make a difference. Probably not some way off place. So I know some of you, some of us have been on short-term mission trips and that makes a world of difference. We, we learn so much, we make, a difference is made more in our lives than in the lives of the people we go to. But odds are God's got something for each of us close by, close to home, something. And so the messenger is not always someone who's going to be, be sent way off somewhere. We're not all called to be, be the public face of, of the franchise, so to speak. But we're all called. And we've got something to do that's going to make a difference. There is a principle I heard John Maxwell talk about years ago, and I hope I'm pronouncing it right. I'm the Pareto principle. You've probably heard of that. It's the 80-20 it's the kind of thing or the 20-80 kind of thing, 20% of the people doing 80% of the work. And that seems to hold true in a lot of organizations, and it seems to hold true in some local churches. I'm still learning, and I, and I think it's way beyond that here. But if we take today's passage seriously, 
then those folks who welcome the messenger, those folks who pray for their Sunday school teacher, those folks who put a hand on our shoulder when we're feeling down, who speak a word of encouragement or send us a note when we're feeling discouraged, those folks are just as much a part of the process of sharing the good news of the kingdom as those who are up front and as those who teach and those who are involved in other ways. The silent prayers that we offer for one another in the body, that we might be strengthened to serve our living God, makes us a part of those who are making a difference. And so it's not just something up front that's important. Stumbled across a, a rather old story, and I guess it's, it's okay in contemporary worship to tell old stories, but this was one that I, that I liked. It was about a young man who had been called to ministry early in his life, and he had finally reached that point. If he had been in our United Methodist system, I'd say he had finally jumped through all the hoops and been through all the boards and done all the exams and had all the examinations and all that kind of stuff, which is important. And he was about ready to, to go into ministry. And his helper in the days of study, the guy in the town, the little town where he lived, who had encouraged him the most was, was a cobbler, a shoemaker. I know we don't hear much about cobblers anymore. But this guy was well-read, and he was very learned. And he had a great theological background. He knew scripture. And he never received the call to ministry that, that he had sort of hoped he would. But he was a great encourager to those who had been so-called. And he told this young man, he said, I love you and I appreciate you. And I recognize God's call on your life. And I can't do what you've been called to do. And I have an envy of you in some ways. But I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll always make your shoes for you. And I'll never charge you. And when you step into that pulpit for your first Sunday in your first church, I want you to know that you're standing in the shoes that I've made for you and that my heart is with you and my prayers surround you. And even though this guy was always in the background, he was never in the forefront of this young man's ministry, he was so important. And his words of encouragement made such a difference that he, in a sense, when those shoes were in the pulpit, a part of his heart was up there too. And he was a part of that ministry that changed human lives for the better that that led folks to Christ. Our passage puts a lot of stress on simple things. Our Lord and his church can always use, will always need powerful proclaimers of the word. We can all think of those pastors, some of them in media and elsewhere, who've influenced large numbers of folks, thousands and, and thousands and maybe even millions. We can always think of those shining examples of sainthood those characters in every local church that stand out. But if we make our homes a place of hospitality, if we take time to make that call or send that note to encourage, if we pray for the neighbor next door that we know is struggling instead of judging, if, if we pray, if our hearts are overflowing with genuine love and that's expressed in the way we embrace and hold each other up, that's just as important. Just as important as those who are known far and wide, whose names are recognized around the globe. Simple things, little things we can do for one another. Like offering a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus. Let me focus on that for, for just a moment. Jesus said, whoever gives one of these little ones a cup of cold water. And I know biblical scholars, and maybe you've talked about it in other places too, who are the little ones? Is he 
talking about children, those who are really little ones? Or is he talking about the broken and the hurt and the discarded and the, I call them the marginal, the fringe people in this world that we tend to overlook? Are those the little people? I think in this passage specifically, not that we aren't to be kind to those folk and love those folk and hear their stories and, and protect the children, but I think here he's talking mainly about his followers, those that he sends out in his name to share the good news and to minister to the hurts of the world. When you go out, don't take much, he said. But he's saying if you give a cup of cold water to one of these folks who comes to your door, if you care for one of these people who maybe are not the upfront kind of people, then God will bless you for that. And we're called to do that. That cup of cold water, so important. Not just a charity kind of thing, but a genuine gift. Something that helps people, something that sustains people as they carry on their ministry. A cup of cold water, how important is that? There is some danger, I think, always when we talk about a cup of cold water that folks think well that's not much <laughs> I can do that and then we offer a cup of cold water once and, and we sort of we sort of stop and if a cup of cold water is all we have to offer to those who need it to those who are about God's work then that's wonderful blessed are we but if we own the well and we own all the land surrounding the well, then why would we give just a cup of cold water and stop there and think we've done our thing and done all that God has called us to do? God calls us to offer that cup of cold water, which may not be the same for all of us depending on what we have to offer. But it's important. It's so important that we don't look for the easy way out seems like in, in this Christian faith business, sometimes if we're not careful, we end up asking, what's the least I can get by with and still get my foot in the door? God, be so careful about that. God, help us if, we, if we're going down that path. The word cold, a cup of cold water, that was a dry and a thirsty and a parched land. Rain was, was scarce, and there were certain places where only a few inches fell a year. And they would gather the rainwater in cisterns, and they would protect it. But well water, from the wells that were dug deep, that was the cold water. To offer a cup of cold water to someone who was dry and parched and living in a dusty and an arid land, that was a big, big deal. It meant a trip to the well which was not always an easy thing. It meant carrying water. It was sometimes an inconvenience to offer somebody a cup of cold water. Not just an easy thing that we can do and say we've done our part and going about our business. It was, could be an inconvenience. The promise in this verse has shown up in so many stories across the years. James Russell Lowe in The Legend of Sir Lawnful tells about Lawnful was one of those that was in search of the Holy Grail. And I can't mention that without thinking the Monty Python thing, so please forgive me. Uh, uh, but in, in search of the, the Holy Grail, that was his whole life. But there was a leper at his gate. And it finally dawned on him. He finally listened to the Spirit and said, 
there's a leper at your gate. What are you going to do about that? You're out all over the place searching for this holy grail. What are you going to do? And so he took a cup of cold water, a simple cup that he had around his place. And he offered the cold water to the leper at the gate. And that simple cup from the pantry in his house became the holy grail. Whoever gives a cup of water to one of these little ones, cold water, sometimes we have to be careful talking about that in the church. If you remember the, the singing group, and I think they're still around. New song, are they still, still recording? They've been around for a long time. They recorded a song a couple of decades ago about cold water committees in the church. Now their reference in that song was the people who are always standing by with a cup or a bucket of cold water ready to throw it on any new idea. And that's not what I'm talking about when I talk about a cold water committee. That's not the kind of committee we need. Those committees need to be abolished. We need the cold water that's offered to those who are hurting. And also offered to those who have been sent to, to share God's word. Even if they look different from us, their theology may be different. There may be a lot about them that we look for ways to judge them and say, well, they don't measure up. When maybe what we need to do is simply offer that cup of cold water. Sometimes it's the difference between sickness and health, between life and death. You mentioned, there was mentioned earlier in the service about Jesus hanging on the cross. And according to scripture, there were seven last words or seven last phrases that he uttered that were heard, that were recorded. One of the things he said was, I thirst. Let me leave you, leave us with this question. If we had heard him say that, would we have offered vinegar on a sponge or a cup of cold water? Amen.